And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Liverpool Man United. More attempts without hitting the target than apple-eating teenage Michael Owen. We discuss that game and core problems for the other Manchester side, City. Plus, the other weekend news, Chelsea's young King Cole, Fulham's Jimenez to Society and much more in this Totally Football Show. Sunday the 17th of December. Hello. I'm here in the Tony Football Studio with Adrian Clark. Hello, Adrian. Hello. All right. We're joined by, as remote as Burnley Survival Hopes, Daniel Storey and Matt Davis-Adams. Hi, James. Hello, Matt Davis-Adams. Hi. Yeah, there he is. Matt's in a bit of a grump, listeners. <laughs> I'm not, this is outrageous. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. And talk about a wonderful weekend of football if we stay away from Friday night, maybe. All right, then. Friday night, huh? Well, it's a weekend uh, with so many elements to it. One above all, our thoughts with Luton skipper Tom Lockyer, who began the weekend eagerly awaiting his side's match with, with Bournemouth and continuing the hatter-spirited battle with the drop. But he's currently recovering in hospital after collapsing 65 minutes into the game away at the Vitality Stadium with a cardiac arrest. Thankfully, Sunday, he's been described as stable. Alex Brody of The Athletic uh, joins us now for a quick update. First of all, what's the latest on Tom and how he is? Uh, so the latest from Luton is that he's still in hospital having tests. The club put out a statement Sunday afternoon saying, could he kind of just be left alone and wait to see what the, the test results are before any kind of decision going forward is? And... Obviously, the thoughts of the club and everyone with uh, with Tom and, and his family at this time. What, what does he represent to the club, Tom Lockyer? As, as with a few players in the squad, a, a good example of how the club's progressed, uh, done well in the Championship and then stepped up to the Premier League level, as I think they have in quite a few games this season, the club as a whole. But Lockyer kind of represents that as the captain and a goal-scoring defender. Um, kind of come through the leagues as Luton have... And he hasn't looked out of place at all at the highest level. Scored in Luton's first ever Premier League win. Was career very much a secondary question now uh, as he recovers in hospital. But Luton, who went on to win that playoff final against Coventry that he collapsed in back in, in the summer. No question of them continuing this game here. How, how do you feel the, the club is going to respond to this? Um, as I said, they've they kind of want to wait and see what the test results are, and I guess the interesting thing will be the decisions that are made going forward. That Tom obviously has to make with his family and with medical kind of uh, advice, obviously, and the club will obviously just have to give him time to make that decision. I guess he he returned after the collapse in the playoff final. 
he then had tests and it was felt he was fine to return and he, he, he wanted to return. This, I think, having happened again, what, seven months later, must be very difficult for him to make that kind of decision, what he does with his career um, going forward, really. Alex Brody there. Well, I'm sure we're all really grateful that Tom received such immediate care and is, is now doing better. But second time this year, Daniel, you were there in the, the championship playoff game where he, he, he collapsed uh, shortly after the kickoff. Yeah, I was. And, and I think, you know, when the dust settles on this incident and, and mercifully it sounds like Tom is going to be okay in his health, we don't know about his professional career yet, but that clearly comes second. There probably will be an examination of um, he, you know, he was he was cleared to play uh, after that initial collapse. Um, I think it's probably fair to say that it would be a, a strange coincidence if if these two incidents weren't linked, and therefore that there may have to be an exa- re-examination of those, you know, how we assess players because you know, football is not everything. A players' health is is of paramount importance above everything else, and we have to protect players in these incidents and. Yeah, I mean, obviously the main thing is that it sounds like Tom is is going to be okay in the long run. We got a kind of report before the game had even been due to finish that he was kind of at least awake and responsive and on his way to hospital. But yeah, once is too much for a player. So twice, I mean, goodness only knows the fear he was going through at that moment. Yeah, and for everybody who was there on on the pitch and at the ground, Adrian, you, something similar happened in a game that you were playing in. Yeah, I've experienced this and it it was undoubtedly the most harrowing experience of my career it was come towards the end when I was playing non-league football in 2005 and it was a Kent Cup senior um, semi-final against Folkestone I was playing for Margate at the time and and yeah the centre forward Paul Sykes was just running towards the halfway line and just hit the deck and I, I still can't get the image of his of his face you know out of my mind to be honest I, it, I can I can go right back there because it was something I'd never want to see or experience again. It was, it was awful, and we obviously all left the field and, and left the medics to to deal with it. And unfortunately, in in this case, Paul didn't make it, and um, it, it was later discovered that he had a heart defect that 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 they were unaware of previously. And yeah, we played the cup final, and it was dedicated in his memory. And and his wife and and young son were there and presented us the trophy. So it was, it was it was an unforgettable experience, but not in in the right way. No, of course not. Poor chap. Uh, it it seemed totally logical this game didn't go ahead on Saturday because of what had happened. And kind of looking back, I'm wondering how is it that the championship playoff final continued? It was not incident in the. Nobody was really sure what had happened. He left the field reasonably quickly. And at the time, people wondered if he'd just kind of sort of fainted. I, I, I think it was pretty warm on the day. It, it didn't seem as, as serious as that. And, and and that sounds a really trite thing to say. But from everybody in the ground, there wasn't, you know, he, he, he got an ovation when he went off, etc. But there wasn't really a sense that something incredibly kind of life-threatening had happened at that moment. Whereas you know, watching the footage from Saturday, it really did feel like that. I mean, mm. partly, I think, because it was Tom Lockyer and it had already happened, but also because I think people, the way the players were reacting, there wasn't quite that sense at the playoff final. Um, I don't know if that's because we were all being, you know, transfixed in kind of, it's a playoff final and we're all focused on that. And if so, then that's, still, you know, that's, that paints us all 
in guilt. Um, but no, it just it, it did feel different. I think one other key difference here is is Rob Edwards, the manager, was clearly in no fit state to concentrate on the game. I think because he it was Tom Lockyer again, and he, he knew the possible long term ramifications for Tom as well. That he, yeah, he, he wouldn't have been able to continue and to focus on that game. I, I think it absolutely was the was the right call. Excellent. Okay. Well. Great news that he's doing better and uh, many best wishes for his recovery. Uh, let's now move on to the action elsewhere in the Premier League on match day 17. Match day 17 saw Liverpool held 0 0 at Anfield by Manchester United. Prior to that, Arsenal had been 2 0 winners against Brighton. Villa also a victorious 2-1 away at Brentford. Saturday, though, Man City slipped again. A 2-2 draw for them at home to Crystal Palace. Well, Spurs on Friday met Nottingham Forest. And details on that are a bit sketchy. Elsewhere, Everton had won their fourth straight game. This time it was at Burnley. Sheffield United lost 2-0 at Chelsea. Newcastle, who will be facing Chelsea in the League Cup on Tuesday, beat Fulham. Gosh, is going down to 10 men after Raul Jimenez. It was a bit rash in his challenge. And the other game which we haven't mentioned is West Ham beating Wolves 3-0. And that's your lot. Singular feature of the Sunday 2 o'clock games wasn't just that West Ham Wolves was the one on telly, but also that of the six managers involved, only two escaped a booking, De Zerbi and Moyes. My money would have been, if you'd said four of the six are going to get a card, my money would have been on Moyes, but, but no. Anyway, that probably wasn't the biggest story on Sunday not a Sunday when we had Liverpool facing Man United at Anfield. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Salah, Cody Gakpo, driving at Shaw. Salah missed out, Endo, Alexander-Arnold! Boy, that's close. Oh, Nana's beaten, he's nowhere near it. I don't think he's even seen it. Well, we search high and wide for a bit of comms to... Big up this game, beginning of our match report. I might have gone for the bit 20 minutes to go when Peter Drury says, oh, a football match. <laughs> uh, one that ended nil-nil, much against everyone's expectations. Do you know, it's only the fourth nil-nil in the Premier League this season. We're 17 match days in. Extraordinary. Why was this game nil-nil? Matt, were you able to catch much of it? I was, yeah. And, and I'm just looking and, and wondering the same because I'm seeing that Liverpool had 34 shots at goal, which seems quite extraordinary to have that number of attempts and, and not manage to score. I just wonder if if it was the overpowering narrative from yesterday of Manchester City could be 12 points behind Liverpool by the next time they play a Premier League game and uh, the footballing gods going, yeah, but maybe not because they'll draw at home to Man United and then they'll draw with Arsenal and then Manchester City will have their way back into the title race and things will pan out just as they should. But um, I don't know, maybe it was because Mo Salah didn't have his scoring boots on. Maybe it's because Liverpool Mm. hadn't worked hard enough at corners in training this week because they had so many of them. It felt like they were duty-bound to, to produce a goal with one. Um, but yeah, I mean, Man United come out looking good, don't they? It, it sort of seemed a bit baffling to see Eric Ten Hag's pre-match interview talking about how Scott McTominay embodies everything about Manchester United and how he's an example of what it means to play for them. And you're thinking, but didn't you spend half the summer trying to sell him? And, and the script seemed to have been written for more embarrassment for the Red Devils at Anfield. But they could have won it. You know, that, that Hoyland chance mm. probably the chance of the game. Yeah, indeed. Did you were saying, Adrian? Did Liverpool shoot too much? <laughs> I 
Possibly. I think they were a bit rash with their, their shooting, you know, trying things from tight angles, weren't they? Rather than maybe teeing up somebody for a, for a better opportunity. I think you've got to give Manchester United some rare credit here. We, don't, we haven't given that out a lot this season. They've been shambolic, haven't they? And they haven't been a team. I thought they would be annihilated in this game. I did, because they're going into the cauldron of Anfield. They, they are not together, or it didn't feel like they were. Uh, yet they, they mustered up quite a bit of teamwork, and, uh, and I thought they fought hard. At the ninth time of asking, they've, they've found a, a centre-back partnership in, in Johnny Evans and, and Raphael Varane that, that did the business for them. So, yeah, I think to, to face 34 shots doesn't look good. But I think they can come away with some pride because they, they put their bodies on the line at key moments and they made some crucial blocks. What's the Daniel Story verdict? I, I, I just think Manchester United was so, so in, perceived as so much in crisis and rightly so before this game. that Everybody sort of tended to overlook that Liverpool have played pretty awfully in open play for the last few weeks. I saw them at Bramall Lane and they were, they were terrible until they scored from a set piece. Um, they beat Crystal Palace because Palace had a man sent off and then kind of weight of numbers got that done. But they've not been very good in open play. They've they've either been... They've, they've kind of been sort of Goldilocks and the Three Bears. They've been too slow in, in their own half and then they've been too rushed in the final third and never quite got it right. And Darwin Nunes sums up those final third issues exactly. He's a player who sometimes makes the right decisions, but it does feel like he's doing it by this sort of rapid-fire tossing of a coin in his head. Um, and if it lands up the right way, he'll do. You know, he'll make the right call. And if he doesn't, then he'll just, you know, he'll appeal for a penalty rather than trying to get the ball and score. Or he'll, rather than making a run, he'll just kind of walk into his own teammate. And that just feels like how they are in open play. There doesn't seem an obvious plan, which is very odd because that that is the one constant this season. You know, with Andrew Robertson out injured. And the centre backs having to change occasionally, they're different there. The midfield is completely new, but it's the same forward line as last season. So we kind of thought, okay, well, we're going to see the second season of this forward line coming together. And to my mind, that's the bit of the team that looks the least effective at the moment. There's no polish still on Darwin Nunez, is there? I, I thought he looked really raw but exciting last season. He's still raw. He's still raw. I, I haven't seen a great deal of, of improvement in him. And I think that is a, is a slight problem for Liverpool because when a centre-forward is a really important figure for, for obvious reasons, but they've also got to look after the ball and make good decisions. They often set the tone. And if that guy at the top end of the pitch is erratic, then I think a lot of the football can become that way too. So, yeah, that that is a problem, I think, for, for Jurgen Klopp. I worked on the Fulham game and they were really loose defensively in that one right. too. And in, and in the second half, after I hot-footed it over here from, from Emirates Stadium, Manchester United looked really threatening on that break. They just lacked that that confidence really to, to finish anything. But I, I think Liverpool are yeah at both ends of the pitch, mm. not at their best. OK. Last Man United player to score at Anfield. Anybody know who that was? Jesse Lingard, I think. Yep, five years ago. Well, just on the subject of it being a nil-nil and only the fourth such result of the season. Anybody got a theory as to why we haven't had more goalless draws? I mean, the, the, I think the vague theory, uh, and it is just that, is that the kind of accumulated fatigue of last season has meant that pressing uh, is not quite as intense. So teams are finding a way to create 
bigger chances and it goes without saying if you haven't had a nil-nil but goals are up this season expected goals are up this season I think teams are just a bit more open because they're probably a little bit more tired off the ball right and there's Burnley in the league as well so that's <laughs> Yes, there are three worst teams than there were last season. Although Leeds and Leicester weren't, and Southampton were hardly brilliant at defending. Ma- matches right. are quite a bit longer, aren't they? This season, I think we have to take that into, into account. And and almost every team in the division now wants to roll the dice mm. inside their own penalty box and play out from the back, which never used to happen. Indeed. All right. Well, next up for the Reds, they'll be hosting West Ham in the quarterfinals of the Carabao Cup on Wednesday, and then Arsenal will be visiting Anfield in a. Big battle of the top two. Only one point between them. That's next Saturday. Woof. Very shortly, we'll discuss what happened to Arsenal in their clash with Brighton and the other Sunday 2 o'clock games. Stay with us. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. You did stick around, listener. Hooray, because now we're going to talk about Arsenal's 2-0 win over Brighton. Adrian was there. We'll also hear from Jacob Tantor about what Villa got up to at Brentford and maybe find time for West Ham Wolves. 3-0 to the Hammers. That was on the telly. Let's start, though. With the game they're calling the spiciest match of the season, Brentford Villa, Jacob Tanswell. How many incidents were there and what caused all the trouble? To be fair, towards the end, there was too many to count. I think it all started with Ben Mee's uh, red cards. Brentford felt very uh, unfortunate about it. And before that point, it was, it was an OK game. It was fairly average bog standing game in terms of there wasn't much incident between or controversy between the two teams but then Ben Mee's uh, red card seemed to you know, like the paper in a way um, in terms of their feeling a little bit of unjust and yeah it just continued from there I think it didn't have the Villa didn't quite find their their rhythm and they had to go to old-fashioned tricks at some points to uh, to get the victory in the end but there was a few and that last 10 minutes uh, James was absolute carnage. 1-0 mm. when Benny left the field 1-0 that is to Brentford but it ended up a 2-1 Villa victory which leaves them just one point behind Arsenal at the top of the table level with Liverpool. Were Brentford the better side for much of the game then? Yeah they were in they were dominating really and just before Benny got sent off uh, they really looked in, in cruise control. They looked like Villa had run out of ideas. Uh, Brentford should have gone two up. You know, Risa had a header. Um, they had a one-on-one. They were continually exploiting uh, Villa's offside trap. Um, they were playing direct. They were turning Villa's centre-backs. 
And yeah, Villa look leggy, really. They look like a team that had played in Bosnia on a Thursday night. And they've had issues away from home. They've drawn at uh, Wolves. They lost to Forest. They drew at Bournemouth. Uh, and it looked like it was going to follow the same way, really, in terms of performance. Uh, but luckily, from Villa's perspective, um, that incident did change the game and, and gave them the initiative, really. OK. And their 25th Premier League win in 2023, which is their highest tally ever in a calendar year, follows on from... The result midweek, as you say, away in Bosnia. What did they do? Was it 1-1? One, 1-1, one? One, one, yes. Yeah, forgettable. <laughs> forgettable, but enough, yeah, but enough to take them through to the last 16 of the Conference League directly. There we go, instead of facing a playoff. Meanwhile, for Brentford, five defeats now in six. Jacob, have a great journey home, and we'll catch up with you soon. Thank you very much. Those are scenes we all love to see. People, you know, players, fracas, that kind of thing. So let's just take this a moment or two to savour the Mope Martinez friction, the the Ollie Watkins scene as well. Danny, uh, what what? Sorry, I've just called you Danny. Not sure where that came from. Anyway, Daniel. <laughs> Danny, let's just stick with it. Daniel, I liked it. Daniel, there's been a bit of an update on one of the early kind of moments of tension there when Ollie Watkins stood in the goal and. And essentially address the supporters, his former supporters at Brentford. Yeah, yeah, and and, and he he really likes Brentford, and Brentford really likes him until today. He 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 spoke with Thomas Frank after the game, which kind of gave it away that something had happened. It wasn't just his his sort of righteous anger, and it sounds like a, a fan or a few fans behind the goal were abusing his family during the second half. So when he scored the goal, he just pointed to them, and you know, like loyalty in that sense is a two way street. You can't want players to you know, to kind of do the decent thing and not celebrate against you if you're also going to have people in the crowd being idiotic and abusive towards them. So mm. good on him for doing that. And and yeah, it sounds like he's spoken to Thomas Frank and said, look, this is what happened. I still like Brentford. I like you. We, we hear that him and Thomas Frank still text each other from time to time. So they're clearly matey. Um, but if someone's going to be a dick to you, then give it back. Quite right. Thank you, Danny. Uh, meanwhile, the other... <laughs> The other scenes were that were rather more comedy value there with uh, um, Neil Mope and Emmy Martinez having a bit of back and forth. Matt, yeah, you you just got to love Emiliano Martinez, haven't you? He's absolute box office for for this kind of thing, and and Mope is underrated as well in, in getting involved in in agro. But um, just to throw it back to Ollie Watkins, I'm, I'm really pleased with this trend we've had this season of people not just celebrating but celebrating with gusto against their old clubs. We had Nathan Ake the other week, didn't we, against Bournemouth, meaningless late goal, fine. Michael Keane this weekend at it as well. It's just it's what football should be about, isn't it? And this was this was obviously very, very spicy. And we haven't even got to the Leon Bailey nearly scoring the most amazing own goal of all time. So there's Ooh. lots to go at in this game. Tell us about that one. Uh, back pass that was a shot from the halfway line, which left his goalkeeper uh, scrambling and befuddled. And yeah, were DVDs still a thing? would have been added to the uh, the Christmas blooper once in an instant. Good thing about the internet, I suppose. You can do that now. No problem. Yeah. Mope and Martinez. Who would have thought it? I, they are two of the most irritating what? Premier League players, aren't they? Are they? Yeah, yeah Mope goes really? under the radar. Neil, but Mo- really, Neil Mope really is, is despised by Arsenal fans for, for a number of meetings where he's um, been just annoying. Oh. Just a little... Can I, I say I, bag? Can yeah, we not have a sneaking bag. regard for Emmy Martinez and his kind of... I'd, always elevated you know, state of no I, I did until that World Cup stuff oh dear okay I just well let, you know yeah. yeah let me move on then and ask Matt if he enjoyed if it's 
players getting in uh, opposing fans' faces. Did you enjoy uh, Paquetar and Kudos twice deciding to celebrate goals sat in front of the Wolves fans at the London Stadium? You see, I want to say yes to this, but I got so cross with Richarlison for doing it to the Forest fans that I would only be labelled a hypocrite. But right. um, yeah, I do. I do broadly enjoy it, James. I do. I think it's part of, you know, it, it, you know if I was commentating on the game, I would I would get the opportunity to say, well, it is pantomime season after all, which is always one I like to dip into at this time of year. Um, mm. But it's what football's about, right? It's an entertainment industry. Uh, you should be able to wind people up and, and everybody gets really cross about it in the stadium. And then you leave and think, oh, well, that was... Just a football match at the end of the day. Indeed so. West Ham, 3-0 winners over Wolves. The first two goals were both Paquetar to Kudus. Kudus a beautiful Brilliant. ball through from Brilliant Paquetar. Through and then balls. he set up Bowen for the third he as well. He did, yeah. Hat-trick of assists for, for Paquetar. I think he's, he's having a terrific season. No one in European football's big five leagues has made more through balls than Lucas Paquetar this season, which is impressive. Very impressive. Not least because West Ham don't, have loads of the ball but maybe that's the reason why where they they can just spring those transitions things open up and yeah I mean a couple of these passes through to, to Kudus were, were exceptional and when you're talking about signings of the summer or best imports of the, of the season so far clearly you're thinking of Shobosly, Van der Ven, Doku but I, I also think that Kudus comes into that category I think he's been Fantastic. Some moments yeah. of real class. When you when you look at him and Alvarez, who also came mm. from Ajax, and you wonder about some of the other Ajax signings that other <laughs> Premier League sides have, have made. Well, well that, that, that does that, raise that questions, was, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean that's that's you know, Marco Van Basten in true Van Basten fashion said it dead straight as it was. He said in February, I don't know why you'd sign Anthony when Mohamed Kudus was available, because he's a better player, he's a stronger player, he's a more fun player for the fans to watch. Uh, and I think he's got a higher potential. And from everything we've seen, that looks right. But they weren't Manchester United weren't the only club that rejected or didn't go for Mohamed Kudus. And as, as much as £38 million can look a steal, it absolutely does. Because like Paqueta, the reason it works, and it works under Moyes, is that their work off the ball and their strength in kind of protecting the ball is so good, as well as the, the flair stuff and the through balls and the passes. There's, um, we ought to praise West Ham because you look this time last year or including January and, and their signings were people like Danny Ings and Maxwell Cornet and Gianluca Scamacca. And this season, they seem to have had hit after hit with Ward Prowse as well as Alvarez mm. and Kudus. So there, there was all that um, discord at the start of the season, wasn't there, about was David Moyes signing the players or was it the new sporting director who probably weren't aligned in the same thinking? Well, whoever it was who, who signed off on these players, every one of them looks like a decent buy at the moment. And, and most of the West Ham fans of my acquaintance seem to love a whinge about David Moyes' sort of conservatism and, and approach, particularly to Premier League games. But you look at the difference... Of, of their results post-European games and, and Brighton, say, and, and how mm. West Ham struggled to, to manage being in Europe and being in the Premier League last season compared to where they are in the table now. You know, they were flirting with relegation up until kind of April time last year. And what are they, seventh now? So, seventh. Well, eighth, eighth, because Man United got the point. But, you know, they're mm. still... They're way away from where they were last season and, and they won their Europa League group at something of a canter. So They did. Yeah. Two no winners against Freiburg on Thursday to go straight into the last 16 of the Europa League, which means they don't have to do any European football till March, as opposed to having the double playoff with a team dropping out of the 
Champions League that other the, the runners-up will, will do. Brighton also through to the knockout stage of the Europa League after their late winner against Marseille on Thursday, but not so fortunate Sunday afternoon when they got, well, battered, you were saying, Adrian. The stats are extraordinary. First half shots... 15-0 to Arsenal. Yeah, uh, I used those stats at half-time on the show that I was working on. It's, it was remarkable to see Brighton dominated so easily. I, it, I'm a big fan of Brighton. I think we probably all are here. They're, they're a quality outfit that are normally incredibly difficult to play against. But this was like watching Arsenal against Burnley or Arsenal against Sheffield United. It was incessant pressure, 26 shots to six in the end. I think that Arsenal produced an outstanding performance. I think this this must rank among their top two of the season so far. Performances, really? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Even as as impotent as Brighton were. Well, so because Arsenal made them that way? I, I, I think so. I think it was a near-perfect performance from, from Mikel Arteta's point of view in terms of the control. So they controlled the game. That's, we, we know that he loves that. There was also lots of imagination, some really good improvised pieces of football. Um, and, and clearly they, they shut out Brighton completely. They just had one effort on goal towards the end of the game at the, at the near post. And that was it. So I, I think it ticked a lot of boxes. The, the only thing that was missing was the finishing. And I think had had Arsenal brought their shooting boots, this could have been four or five nil. And, and no one really has looked like beating Brighton. Well, Villa. Five nil. You, well, the, yeah, yeah, apart from they Villa. They did them, what, yeah. six Six, yeah, it? that was yeah. yeah that, that is true. That mm. is true. And, and this this Brighton don't seem as strong, certainly not defensively as they were last year. But even so, I, I just thought it was a very accomplished all round performance from Arsenal. Um, that I think Mikel Arteta, it was almost the perfect Mikel Arteta performance. Mm. I, I would say. Okay, but it comes back to the Brighton post Europe thing a bit, doesn't it? You know, not to discredit Arsenal, I'm sure mm. they played really well in the game. But you know, Brighton after Europe drew at home to Sheffield United, lost to 10-man Chelsea. They played against 10 men for about 45 minutes. They are clearly having an issue in, in managing the two things, I think. Just a word on a couple of individual performances. Oh, yeah. I think uh, Gabriel Jesus was... He scored. Outstanding. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he didn't give the ball away once, which I think is phenomenal for a centre-forward because you play, you play a striker. You're getting defenders all over you. They're trying to knock you over. He, he executed every pass successfully, which I think is a, is, a, is a good achievement. He also produced some great moments of skill in the game. Um, so, so a word for him and and the others on Declan Rice and you know the supporters that we were speaking to after the game were saying, look, we should probably just cough up some more money to West Ham for Declan Rice. He's, he's just becoming a he's joke, just, really. He's just he's just so good. It was it was as if. What was he doing that was so good, Adrian? Well, Brighton, as you know, love to play out from the back, don't they? They like to draw teams mm. in. And every time they played the ball into midfield, Declan Rice was on them, basically intercepting the ball and then shrugging off players. It looked like he was, you know, two or three years old. It was like he was playing in a kid's game and he was two or three years older than the other kids in the Brighton engine room. He was that much stronger, that much quicker. He was anticipating everything. It was a really immaculate performance from Declan. Mm. What about Kai Havertz? Remember the days when he, he couldn't <laughs> score? Four goals in seven now for him and Arsenal top of the league. I know. Yeah, and mm. they were singing his song, which is obviously what? a... Oh, yeah? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fun song. 
Why, 60 million down the drain. Kai Havertz scores again. Na, 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 na. Waka, waka, waka. Made popular by Nottingham Forest. Yeah, it's a beauty of a song. But it was, it was a lovely <laughs> little 1v1. And he, and he finished with a plomb, which was lovely. He did, although the keeper, question mark, etc. All right, next up. Let's talk about Brave Palace and their Brave 2-2 draw at Manchester City. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Football Content Awards International Podcast of the Year. The responsibility falls on Michael Elise. This to draw Palace level and deny City victory. Which he does very calmly indeed. City on Saturday looking back to their best at home to Roy Hodgson's Crystal Palace. Goes from Jack Grealish and then Rico Lewis. Had them 2-0 up with a quarter of an hour to play. Every single City outfield player had created a chance and it was total dominance. And then it happened all over again, just like with Spurs, just like with Liverpool, just like with Arsenal and just like even with Chelsea. City undone by late goals. Jean-Philippe Matessa pulled one back in the 76th minute. And then Phil, Phil Foden kicked out of Mateta in the box and there's a penalty and Michael Olise with nerves of steel converts and that's now one win in six for City in the Premier League their worst start ever to a Premier League campaign under Guardiola uh, what's happening with Man City is a big question well, well first off Adrian you were commentating on this game first off Palace happened Oh, well played well play, Crystal Palace they're just stuck in the game they, they held their nerve they are injury ravaged to, to an unbelievable degree so much so that they basically picked nine defenders and the only two attacking players were Michael Elise on the right wing and Jean-Philippe Mateta up front, both of whom were magnificent in the game because they didn't have very much of the ball. But every time Elise got it, he travelled with it. He took them up the field. Uh, and, and Mateta was, was a force of nature, really, in, in terms of just chasing down everything and hassling Manchester City defenders. And we saw that in the build-up to the, to the penalty that they got in, in injury time. So 
They defended brilliantly, you know, blocked everything. Well, except the two goals that, that City scored, of course. But but yeah, they, they, they held their nerve. They had to put on a kid. Uh, David Ozo was only 18. Big, powerful central midfielder uh, who'd only played 14 minutes of Premier League football previously. And he came into this game and he was a towering presence. I've got to say, mm-hmm. he was excellent putting himself about. He looked after the ball beautifully as well. So well done to him. Well done to Palace. For City, it's a disaster of a result. Right. Absolute disaster. Well, So Palace scored with both their shots on target and you might feel that they were a bit fortunate with that. However, should they, should they not have been facing 10 men for most of the game? Edison's challenge... On remind me who he was taking out. At that time. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. On Matessa, should that not have been sanctioned with the red? Yeah. No, I don't. I don't I, it, yeah, it was a kind of classic sort of orangey challenge. I think. Um, it was same exact, wasn't it? Well, it was exactly the same as it. It was a, a completely different incident. But I thought about that exactly the same as I thought about Luke Shaw's uh, for, for United on on Sunday in that. Yes, it's it is that middle ground, and if it's a middle ground, I think you probably generally err on the side of yellow. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it was it's again, it's one of those you want it for your team, and you argue it's a yellow when it goes against you, and that's the the golden rule. I mean, mm. my takeaway on on City at the moment is that I think the really interesting thing is, I think they've, I think they're paying again for not buying another striker because, not just because Erling Haaland's out, but Julian Alvarez last season. I was, I was looking at this because I, I kind of thought Julian Alvarez must have played an awful lot of football. Is he just tired? And then he only started 13 league games last season. And basically he was the most used substitute pretty much in Europe. He came on in 30 times, I think, for City in all competitions. He's one of only two players to start every game for City this season. And he just doesn't look as good starting games as he did coming off the bench and impacting them against tired defenders. And I think teams can just stay in the game against City a bit more. Palace actually have a really good record at the Etihad, but... It feels like last year that sort of game would have been three or four nil, and then everybody, you know, if there is a late sloppiness, it's four one rather than two two, and you know I know Guardiola thinks every time someone has a shot against us it goes in, and there is definitely an extent of that, but I think there are little things that just aren't working the same way, and it's not necessarily as simple as we conceded goals we're not defending very well. I think it starts much higher at the pitch. Um, Manchester City in need of a reliable goal scorer. Maybe um, from good stock. I mean, it's it's strange to to dip into the academy if you if you're Manchester City, I guess. But you know, if you've got Emil Heskey's son Jaden playing for your under twenty ones, you know, maybe you get that bit of footballing legacy and see how it works. Very nice. Pep was talking about it being. Did he blame carelessness afterwards? And I'm not sure. Does this feed into the same kind of? Well, for Liverpool, it was a quadruple they were chasing, but the post-treble fatigue, whether physical or or maybe mental, of a, a group of players who've been right to the end, of, of, of gone deep in multiple competitions the season before. And if it is that, sorry to extend this question still further, but why is it that Pep doesn't make substitutions earlier in games? Does he just not trust his bench? That might be a factor. I think I think what he was talking about here specifically was giving away silly penalties, which was exactly what they did at Chelsea, wasn't it? And I think that, you know, it's kind of do it once, okay, fine, but do it in a second game. You could see why that would be really frustrating for a manager. Um, but it did give us that magnificent shot, didn't it, of, um, of Roy Hodgson, who's <laughs> been, been threatening a full heel turn in recent weeks with his grumpiness, but looking all 
avuncular and slightly ornithological at, at Pep Guardiola across the, the dugout and, and making everything seem right in the world. It's but yeah, I think, I think it's, yeah, it's, but it, again, it comes back to fatigue, doesn't it? And you're probably right, James, it probably should make substitutions earlier in the game because tired players make bad decisions hmm. and that's what Foden did. There you go, Pep. I think Ilkay Gundogan is, you're seeing his absence felt mm. as well because in games where City weren't really doing a great deal he just had that habit didn't he of popping up and, and delivering in key moments the two players that he kind of brought in to replace them were both on the bench in this game Kovacic and Mateus Nunez neither was called upon mm. in the game which I find interesting you mm. know as he lost trust in those guys, does he not believe that they can come on and and, and deliver for him? I don't know, but, right. but I think that Gundogan is isn't that they're feeling that absence big time. And yes, City fans, you're also without Kevin De Bruyne. Oh yeah, and uh, Erling Haaland in this game, and John Stones with all the all the multiple qualities that he brings to to City's play. Off they go then to the Club World Cup. By the time they return, how many points could they be behind? Twelve. Ten now, I guess. Ten. Ten now, yeah. Ten points behind Arsenal. They won't be playing in the Premier League until the 27th of December, Man City, because of their activities in Saudi Arabia. On Tuesday, 6pm UK time, they'll be facing the semi-final against the Japanese Urawa Red Diamond, who were 1-0 winners against Mexican side Lyon in their quarter-final. Uh, Urawa Red Diamond are 2022 Asian Champions League winners. Dan Olovitz, who's been on this show before, describes them as brutally efficient in defence but lacklustre in attack. So, yeah, could be an interesting match on Tuesday. The other semi-final, we'll see Fluminense, the South American champions, up against Al Ali, who knocked out Karim Benzema's Al Itihad in the quarterfinal. Crikey. But have lost Anthony Modest in the process. That's enough on the Club World Cup. Anyway, City's going out there. Oh, no. Hello, Daniel. To to somehow talk more about the Club World Cup. um, Alex Schalke, who scored uh, the winner for Urara uh, Red Diamonds against Lyon. His last two clubs were Servette in Switzerland and Ross County in Scotland. Wow. That is a heck of a (laughs) weird career to go on. Good for him. We can see how this goes, though, doesn't it? As as I sort of alluded to, because we've got this Liverpool-Arsenal game coming up. City go away, get some sun on their backs, win the Club World Cup, come back, find out that their rivals have taken points off each other and then they go into the second half of the season, do what they do and walk away with the title again. Are they going to do it again, though, Matt? Mm, Depends how long Haaland's out for us, I suppose, but I'm not sure I trust Liverpool or Arsenal to, to maintain their current form. Okay. All right. Duly noted. Next up, Let's check out the other games which took place this weekend in the Premier League. Hello listeners, Danny Kelly here, host of The View from the Lane, your dedicated Spurs podcast from The Athletic. Myself, Charlie Eccleshare, James Moore and Tim Spears are with you twice a week, every week this season, as we bring you all the news and views you can ever possibly want from in and around the club. Listen for free wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of The View From The Lane. This is The Totally Football Show, part of The Athletic Podcast Network. Full-time Europe, The Athletic's women's football podcast will be out on Tuesday. They'll probably be talking about Spurs' victory 
1-0 over Arsenal Saturday lunchtime. What a what a Spurs goal that was. Here's Bizet. Naz is making herself available too. Bizet across, look at the Thomas! Tottenham Hotspur have the advantage in the North London derby. The copy of Angeball. This is the claim from, from Tottenham's coach who... The, the improvement over the last few months has been extraordinary. No, I mean, nobody saw this coming. And Arsenal, who... I mean, they beat Chelsea last weekend and then, I mean, that just it just smacks of ultimate complacency. But, yeah, a huge result for Spurs, who are, you know, they see themselves as... Uh, the Athletic did a piece this week, actually, kind of behind the scenes with them, where they really do want to be another force in women's football. You know, they're doing this properly. They're not just... They're, they're, they're walking the walk as well as talking the talk. And that's a, a, obviously a statement win. There were two, actually, two statement wins this weekend because Liverpool also beat Manchester United at, on Sunday before the, the men's game. Uh, and they are another team who have come an awful long way under Matt Beard in a pretty short space of time. All right, Matt, you were doing the Chelsea game Sunday. Yeah, I was. Um, I sort of wonder, by the way, if Matt Beard might be a contender to replace Emma Hayes. He's a former um, Chelsea manager, so there would be some logic to that. But yeah, huge for Chelsea. You look really, really sort of weary against Hecken in the Champions League in midweek and, and struggled to create good quality chances and, and probably a trip to Bristol City with the bottom team in the league was good for what ails them and um, they scored some excellent goals Lauren James in particular uh, sensational really nice Erin Cuthbert volley as well and as soon as it's 2-0 at half time you think they're going to uh, go on and, and win it pretty comfortably which they did and they got Micah Hamano on for her debut in the second half which gives um, Chelsea another option in those kind of wide forward areas which is pretty scary for the rest of the league but yeah you know a week ago we're talking about Chelsea getting absolutely humiliated in front of a record crowd at the Emirates and losing 4-1 and here we are going into the winter break they don't play in the league again until the third week of January and they're three points clear at the top of the table which is which is very Emma Hayes Chelsea like remarkable all right well you can hear more in full-time Europe uh, the totally football shows European edition will also be out on Tuesday no doubt discussing Sevilla bidding off yet another manager Diego Alonso's got fired he had 12 games in La Liga and Champions League, won none of them. They're now looking for their fifth permanent manager since the start of last season, Are Sevilla. We'll also take in the Champions League last 16 draw, which will be happening on Monday. Anyway, tune in on Tuesday to the Totally Football Show's European edition. Well done to Rangers, who won the Scottish League Cup final on Sunday. 1-0 over Aberdeen. Uh, Rangers also, speaking of things in Seville, they became the first team uh, the first visiting side this season to win a game at Real Betis when they defeated uh, Manuel Pellegrini's side 3-2 to go through to the last 16 of the Europa League last Scottish side in Europe doing their bit for the coefficient lovely stuff uh, League Cup in England as well that's coming up this midweek are you excited by the quarterfinals Shall I just run them by you? Liverpool taking on West Ham on Wednesday. Port Vale Borough. It's another one. I'm there. Are you I'm going? I'm there. So Port don't, vale yeah, don't mock it. I'm, I'm not mocking it. Oh, Danny's a hipster, isn't he? Chelsea. Robbie Williams. <laughs> Chelsea's at I'll home. I'll be duetting. <laughs> Chelsea's at home to Newcastle and Everton play Fulham. I was going to start with Everton, but let's hear about Port Vale Borough. Why, Daniel? Why? I think it's a really cool game because it's to get into a semi-final domestic cup competition. I know Middlesbrough are no secret that. They've been a really good cup team down the years, but I think Port Vale can do it. 
it's a pretty incredible story if they get to a semi-final of, a, of the EFL Cup, particularly given over the last four, five, six years, maybe even a decade, that competition has become dominated by Premier League, big Premier League teams starting to pick stronger teams in the quarterfinals onwards. So the draw has obviously helped, but mm. yeah, it just feels like a really good shootout to get into a semi-final. Excellent, excellent. The other game's full of Premier League-ness. Uh, Everton playing Fulham. Everton, who just got their fourth straight win. This one was away at Turf Moor, a return there for Sean Dyche and a couple of Everton players as well. It's the first time in 21 years that the Toffees have gone four league wins in a row without conceding a single goal. They are now a point better off than they were at this stage last season, even with that 10-point deduction. Wow. Impressive. Yeah, really impressive. I think that he's building something there. What made their victory at Burnley stand out for me was that he had so many players out. He's had this 4-4-1-1 formation that was working beautifully, but three of his back four were missing. So he, he revamped it to kind of a 3-5-1-1 and they were just as good, if not better. I do think the two wingers have been great. Um, Harrison and McNeil, I think they make a real, real difference. Calvert-Lewin being fit helps. We know that. But yeah, they've become a pretty fit, powerful, strong team. These are <laughs> record-equaling runs by a manager who, at times last season, just looked like it wasn't—he wasn't quite able to turn it into his team. Dominic Calvert-Lewin being fit helps. The wingers are, you know, Adrian's right, absolutely brilliant. But it's players like you know—you heard James Tarkovsky talk after the game, and I know he knows Dyche and Burnley, but. He's talking like he's enjoying his football more than he ever has in his career. Uh, Seamus Coleman, you know, they all they all say he's leading the team like nobody from the dressing room like nobody else. One of has the best before. humans, isn't he? According to Frank Lampard, yeah, yeah. the world's best humans. Is that right? Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to see his top hundred. That's yeah. that's the Frank Lampard who throws out Abdoulaye Decoré, who now seems to score in pretty much every game for Everton. I think that that man management side of Dyche is something that's probably quite underrated, just because of his demeanour. You. you He's kind of pigeonholed as a, not a ranter and a raver, but, a, you know, kind of basics. Let's do the bleep test and run as hard as we can, lads. But I think mm. actually his man management <laughs> Eating skills. Eating Yeah, yeah, quite, which was uh, not true, was it? Um, <laughs> no, but yeah, having, having seen them, you know, live last week, really impressed by the way you organise them. And particularly in this game, because Mikolenko pulled out late, didn't he? And he, and he said in his post-match, well, what we did is we didn't have a session to work on the new formation. So we showed him that good clips of them doing it well in a game that we played earlier in the season and didn't kind of focus on the negatives, but said, look, you've done this before. You can do it again. And lo and behold, they kept their fourth clean sheet in succession. And, you know, I said this before, they've got, because it's Fulham at home in the mm. League Cup quarterfinal, and yeah, Fulham have been better of late, but... But they'll be without Ralph Jimenez here. Well, quite, yeah, yeah. And and it could be a glorious season for, for Everton. You know, we might even get a Merseyside Derby League Cup final, which would be something pretty spectacular. Amazing. Unless it's Port Vale, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jimenez, who uh, was sent off after just 23 minutes of Fulham's clash this weekend in the Premier League, away at St. James's. They were beaten 3-0 by Newcastle. Uh, it was a spectacular. bit... A spectacular challenge or the Newcastle yeah. performance? Both? No, I don't, I don't care about the performance. The The challenge was, yeah, I think the weirdest red card I've seen, it was kind of, it was both simultaneously incredibly weird and yet also when you watch it in slow-mo, you can see every one of Raul Jimenez's thoughts as he's going because he kind of flies into it and he's lost his head and then he realises a second too late that he needs to bring his foot down 
at which point he's just careering in the air. And yeah, I mean, he, his his anus hits Sean Longstaff's <laughs> face. There's no other way to describe it. It nearly um, takes his head off. Yeah, it? I mean, I, I have to say, I was impressed by Marco Silva mo- moaning about the referee after the game. That was like that was kind of peak Premier League 2023 for me because, yeah, if the rule is reckless, then um, I think flying through the air, unable to stop into someone's face with any part of your body, is probably yeah, reckless. Yeah. Especially the anus. Yeah. Um, first senior, Raul Jimenez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> first senior goal for 17-year-old Lewis Miley as well, who's. Uh, uh, very much filed among the good news for Newcastle, who, with that, remain in and around the battle for mm. top four, or is it five? We'll mm. have to see. We'll have to I mean, see. Yes, Arsenal mm. City are under pressure, aren't they, to, to deliver in the Champions League? They've got two more players out, haven't they, Newcastle? Mm. Uh, Cher came off and, and Joel Linton, so they're pretty depleted for that, that cup game at Chelsea. Is, is that, because it is extraordinary how much Newcastle have been hit by injuries is it because of that or is it the other way around cause and effect that Eddie Howe was using the same 10 outfield players for 63 games in a row I think that is a big factor yeah Yeah. I I just think they've they've had to play 90 after 90 after 90 and 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 it's catching up with them you know a lot of these are are muscle injuries aren't they so Mm. They've just got to get on with it, Newcastle United. But this was this was a big win. I, I thought Phil, Fulham had potential to go there and get get a result. They started the game quite well, Fulham, but but the outcome of this match hinged totally on on the Jimenez tackle. Okay, next up for Newcastle, as mentioned, the quarterfinal with Chelsea, who themselves were two 0 winners uh, against Sheffield United. Matt, you were there at this game. I was, yeah, yeah, and I wondered if we'd even talk about it at all after the first half because mm. it, it was such a non-event. But um, it ended up being pretty significant for Chelsea. I think I think it's one of those where you know the automatic response is to say, "Well, you beat the team who are bottom of the league at home. There's not much you can take from that." But it, it's a critical week in Chelsea's season with this League Cup quarter-final, which is you know, by far the biggest game that they will have played so far. So they absolutely had to go into it with some positivity. But, but also, I think it was reassuring to see Maurizio Pochettino make a tactical change, not a, at all, but, but one which impacted the game and ended up winning it for them because he's been so rigidly stuck to the formation and as much as he can be with their injury problems, the personnel, that, that to see, you know, it's quite a simple thing, I suppose, to put, Cole Palmer from from the ten roll out wide and, and swap Sterling round and and they were both involved in in both of the goals having having looked in the first half as if nobody was going to score in the match so I think that maybe gives a bit more Chelsea fans are still very much on the on the fence about Pochettino particularly those who get crossed with the fact that he's seemingly got no interest in playing anybody from the academy when you look at Lewis Miley for example and what he's come in and done for for Newcastle but um, this was important for Pochettino I think to show that he can still affect games himself um, during them And, and yeah Cole Palmer I mean it was said Danny Murphy said it on Match of the Day, didn't he? But it's extraordinary for a 21-year-old who'd, who'd barely started a Premier League match before he came to Chelsea to be the most important player in the team. You know, Conor Gallagher might make an argument that, that he could lay claim to that too, but Palmer is just absolutely pivotal to the way that Chelsea play at the moment. And he's the only one of the forward players who is playing as if he's brimming with confidence. He wants the ball all the time. And every time he gets it, there's a buzz of anticipation that something's going to happen. And more often than not, it does. And, and he was the difference maker in this match. He was absolutely superb. All right. Chelsea fans on the fence. Uh, Christopher Nkunku on the bench meantime 
Matt, I noticed that you've already made a song for him. Yeah, <laughs> I have. The, I en- the, the end of it needs work, if I'm honest, and, and maybe we'll workshop that. Well, on, how does it go? Uh, straight out of Cobham tomorrow. Uh, so I, I feel it's got to be to the tune of Agadoo because okay. of Unkunku. So There's your Agadoo in the background. Take it away, Matt. We're working, um, we're working with that. Just give me a second while I get it up. Here we go. Unku, coo, 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 had a problem with his knee. Unku, coo, 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 delayed his debut for Chelsea. To the left, to the right, blowing up balloons all night. He is class latching onto a pass, and we're thrilled to see him whoa, on the grass. Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, perfect. Well, I'll stop you there. <laughs> the, the, um, the other League Cup quarterfinal is uh, Liverpool against West Ham. Yeah, I should just say that um, Cole Palmer's got a, a much better song than that, which the Chelsea fans have, have come up with, which which gives a nod to everything that's happened at the club over the last year, which I think is um, it's nice to see uh, from the Chelsea supporters. It's to the tune of uh, Ring of Fire, and it goes, Running from the left to right, Cole Palmer is dynamite, sign him up for eight more years, Chelsea boys are on the beers. So nice. well done to whoever came up with that one. It's better than my Unkunku one, but I was under pressure. And yeah, straight out of Cobham tomorrow, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. If you've got a better one, do let us know at SO Cobham Pod on X, currently known as. Yeah. Daniel, anything you any, want to add to any that? Songs, Danny? Well, Matt, <laughs> Matt, Matt kind of expressed his disdain at Adrian singing a chant that he'd nicked that they'd nicked from Forest, and that mm. Unkunku chant is nicked from. Newcastle when they used to have Jose Lu. Uh, they used to sing Jose Lu, 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 might score one, he might score two, which you could probably yeah. put that line in as well if you want, Matt. Yeah. If you want to steal it all. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, you know, it's a collaborative <laughs> thing. More than happy to accept. Cole Palmer was good. I don't like to praise Chelsea fans, but the Cole Palmer was good. What were they singing <laughs> on Friday night at the city ground, Daniel? Uh, so, well, it's been really interesting hearing the Steve Cooper chant uh, over the last few weeks because it always used to be the kind of overwhelming support, you know, he's going to get sacked so the fans will sing his name to say we don't want him sacked. It How does, does that definitely... song go, Daniel? Just give us a rendition. <laughs> I, won't be singing, I won't be singing it. Um, <laughs> but over the last few weeks at Fulham and Wolves and on Friday night, there's a definite tinge of thanks and farewell and mm. we're sorry you're leaving, but this feels like you're going to be losing your job soon. Oh. Feel to that. Forrest were... I think the better team for large large parts of Friday evening, but they have a problem in that one bit of quality. Well, there's there's two distinct problems. One is that they make mistakes that generally lead to goals. Um, Matt Turner did that for the second when Forrest were on top. And secondly, that that they they've actually got the same problem as Sheffield United this season, which is the counter pressing really gets them. So when they they choose to sacrifice possession and then when you win the ball back, you have to be able to protect it and do something with it because if you can't then keep the ball for more than five seconds, you're suddenly inviting pressure and you're under pressure for extended periods of time and they haven't been good enough to to kind of thwart that pressure. Mm. They're not as bad as Sheffield United at it, but they are not good. As soon as they win the ball back, they Mm. are swarmed and they struggle to play more than three passes. All right, Spurs winning this one 2-0. Goals from Dejan Kulisowski, who also set up the other goal. Scored by Richarlison to the delight of uh, the home fans. Adrian, were you warming up to pitch into this? I was going to say something, uh, going to ask Daniel a question about Forrest. Because mm. I, I, I covered the game against Wolves and I thought they were superb in that game. Like going back to basics yeah. with this back three and the, back, the, the, the decision to go back three last season towards the end, ground out the results to get them over the line. 
Um, can you see this this lasting, and, and can it save Steve Cooper yet again? No, no I can't because um, to well, various reasons the results aren't good enough at the moment. Uh, Evangelos Maranakis, I think privately rather than publicly, but he wants Forrest finish in the top ten. He also wants Forrest to play with a style that they're not playing with at the moment, and that isn't that back three and and deep line defence and grinding out results. I, I think that is the best approach at the moment, particularly when Tara and Aaron is out. Although they can't get a result at all without him out, but um, the reality is, is that at, at Fulham when they got hammered, they played with eight new players and they played with eight old, you know, three only three new players against Wolves and again against Spurs because he, they're the players he trusts, I think, and that doesn't really feel sustainable because Maranakis sanctioned thirty million pounds on Ibrahim Sangare and I think he'd probably quite like him to play. So mm. no, that doesn't feel sustainable. I'm, I am actually surprised he's, he's in a job. I, th- I thought he might go this weekend. One um, win in 13 now for Forrest. Spurs, yeah. meanwhile, uh, with a, a handy victory to keep themselves on the fringes of however many Champions League places the Premier League receives for next season. They will be facing their next game, which is with Everton, as it happens, next Saturday, without Yves Bissoumo, who's got sent off for the second time this season. Hmm. Oh, and they're going to be without him for AFCON as well in January. So, yeah. Anyway, that is the state of play after 17 match days of this Premier League. Matt, anything else you want to add? <laughs> you know what, James? There is, um, and, and you'll, you'll forgive me for this because it's very, very niche, but um, I did a game on Saturday morning between Chelsea's under-18s and West Brom's under-18s. It finished 9-1 to Chelsea, and I want to just give a little mention, a little shout-out. I'm sure he doesn't listen. He's a 17-year-old Ivorian called Czech Kone, who scored what is comfortably the best goal I've seen all weekend. He picked the ball up about halfway inside his own half, Beats a couple of players, absolutely larrups one into the bottom corner of the net. A wonderful goal. Unfortunately for him, the score was 8-0 against his team at the time. So this poor lad turns around. There's none of his teammates anywhere near him. He knows he can't celebrate the goal. Who knows whether he goes on to have a career in football or not. This might be as good as it gets for Czech Kone scoring this absolute wonder goal. And the disappointment on his face just made me so sad because he knew, as we all knew, that it meant absolutely nothing and none of his teammates would even shake him by the hand or pat him on the back. And I just felt so sorry for poor young Czech Kone. It finished 9-1. Chelsea was so affronted by that. They went up and scored straight away. Um, yeah, but I, I I feel your pain, Czech Kone, and I enjoyed your goal. So <laughs> you, you just keep plugging away and we'll see what happens. Look that out on YouTube. Uh, I'm going to enjoy that straight after we wrap this pod, which we're pretty much at the point of doing. Daniel, many thanks. Look forward to reading your verdict in The Score in The Eye on Monday morning. Matt, uh, back with not only straight out of Coven, but also what the EFL with Adrian, perhaps. Is that right, Adrian? You joining Yeah, Matt's I should be there. Yeah? yeah, excellent. All right, good. And you as well, Adrian, thank you for coming in with your My knitwear pleasure. and your knowledge. <laughs> Fantastic. Many thanks to Liam and Charlie in the booth. And you listener, we're back Tuesday morning with the Euro crew. Do join us for that. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.